The following is a message by Pastor Caleb Bunch of Redeeming Grace Fellowship. For more information about RGF, please visit our website at www.rgf.church. Please feel free to make copies of this sermon or distribute to friends and family, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. Hello, everybody. Today, our sermon is being brought to you from the great state of Kentucky, where I am visiting my parents. As you will notice, I do not have a pulpit here, nor do I have Ben with me to do the professional job of filming that he has been doing so far. So hopefully uh, this works well and you're able to connect and see uh, really well what we have to hear from the word today. Over the last several weeks, even months, we have been considering a metaphor specifically the biblical metaphor of walking. And what I want to do right up front is consider that metaphor itself. What does walking indicate? Biblically, it indicates dedication or singularity of mind. When you're walking somewhere, every single muscle in your body is working together. It's designed so that it will move you in a particular direction. The Bible will sometimes use a metaphor of running, and when it uses that metaphor, it is doing so to speak to the concept of urgency or to to speak to the concept of training. But our focus is on the metaphor of walking, which moreover speaks to consistency and faithful practice. We begin the series uh, by considering walking with the king, meaning walking under God's authority, not our own. Then we spoke about walking in truth from 3 John. And when walking, then we considered walking in wisdom from the book of Ecclesiastes. And afterward, we learned the proper definition of walking in the light, meaning to walk before the face of God from 1 John. And finally, last week, the sermon was about walking with Jesus or walking in the awareness that we have been united to Christ by God, that we are one with him, that we have union with Jesus. And today, we come to our final sermon in this short series, And as we do, I should encourage you to to consider the fact that there are occasions when the Bible will command something of us that seems extreme. When the Bible commands us things that we're not being told to do more than we should, but we are being told to do more than we are able. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 12 contains just such a command, and that's going to be our focus for today. Here Paul says, we exhort each one of you and encourage you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is one of those verses that should shake you to your core. If you meditate upon this, it should grab you. You might think at this command and and you might look at it and Think of it the same way that you might consider a command to swim to Australia, or the same way you might consider a command to jump to the moon. It is extreme in nature. Now, you might view it as an idealized concept, but something that is way too far out of your grasp. But this command, and many others like it in the New Testament, are not here without purpose. God made this command because he expects his people to obey it. So our goal this morning is to consider what it means to walk worthy of our God, and how to do it. But first, let me ask the Lord to help us now in our endeavors. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would please give us strength in our minds and wisdom as we approach your throne. I pray, Lord, that you would please give us the ability to hear your word and believe it and act upon it. Lord, I thank you that even in the midst of some challenging circumstances, you have held our hand, you have been with us. 
Lord, we know that you always guide us. Lord, like a good shepherd, even in the valley of the shadow of death, you are with us, and you lead us, and you care for us. So, Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself as the good shepherd today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First, let's clear up the most obvious and glaring way that we could easily misconstrue this verse. Walk in a manner worthy of God. Now, worthy is the important word we're going to focus in on here. Uh, it's a very often used word in the New Testament, but do you know what it actually means? I could be wrong, but I think most of the time that we use that word, we assume that the word means somebody is deserving of something, that we are entitled to something because we have done the right thing or because we have done something that makes us deserving of honor. But that's not quite right. That's not exactly accurate. This verse is not telling us to live in such a way that God owes us something. If he was saying that, that would be that'd be bizarre. It's not saying that we can earn our salvation. It's not saying that we are able to be so holy that God must repay us with his love. No, the word worthy is actually based on an ancient form of weights and measures. It's the Greek word axios. Now, I'm sure you've seen one of those, those scales where they balance up and down from one side to the other. It's the image that we use to represent justice. You know, the woman has a blindfold on and she's holding the scales of justice. When I was a younger person, when I was a teenager, actually, I was actually a preteen, in fact, I was involved in something called Bible quizzing. Now, literally, what we would do is we would study a book of the Bible for three or four months, and then we would go around the state and we would join in competitions of other teenagers to see who knew their Bibles the best. In fact, one time, one time we actually went to nationals in Texas, and we did a big Bible quiz event with thousands of other students in Texas. And I personally was never that great at the competitive side of Bible quizzing. I was always beaten out by Whitney Clausen, who was part of our team. But one time when we were in this little town somewhere in the middle of America, I don't know where, we stopped at a park together, and at this park, there was in the center this giant scale. It was it was like a fulcrum. You know, you could get on either side. They had these tire, it was like a tire swing, but the tires were flat, and you could pile as many people on one side and as many people on the other, and it would balance, and you could see which group of people, or individuals for that matter, were heavier. And so we did that in all sorts of com uh, combinations, and I learned something that day. All of the guys were very happy to play around and compare their weights. Uh, none of the teenage girls were actually interested in joining, so I learned some things that day. Needless to say, if I remember correctly, we never got the scales to balance perfectly. In the ancient world, this was the way you would purchase goods. For example, somebody who was selling grain would put a metal weight on one side of the scale, and they would say, this weight is worth, let's just say, three bags of grain. And then this weight now represents that much grain. And the buyer would then put his money on the other side of the scale to balance out the weight. And when the buyer's side measured up perfectly with everything on the seller's side, it was called axios. It was called balanced. It was called worthy. You have measured up, as it were. So let me give you an example of this in the scripture. Matthew chapter 10, 10, and Luke chapter 10, verse 7, and 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18, all contain this single phrase, the laborer is worthy of his wages. In other words, the worker has put in enough hours to help you. Now, in equal measure, you must pay him. He has measured up to the value of his earnings, to his payment. 
So we are called to live in such a way that measures up to God, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12. But measure up to him in what way? Of of course, it does not mean that we will ever be equal to him in terms of power or knowledge or wisdom. It does not mean that we will match him in terms of authority or judgment or strength. So what does it mean? One of the best ways to answer that question is by comparing this command to similar commands that we find being made by Jesus and later by Paul. Jesus said these familiar words in Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 through 39. He said, He who loves father or mother more than me is not axios of me, is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not axios of me, is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not axios of me, is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. What is the expectation of Jesus in this passage? What does he want from his disciples? It stands to reason if these specific things make somebody unworthy of Jesus, then the opposite is what causes them to be measured up, to to be worthy in that sense of Christ. In particular, Jesus is revealing that God's expectation for disciples are all-encompassing. You must not have any greater love or higher ambition than Jesus. He goes right to the heart here. He says, If you love your family more than you love me, then you are not worthy of me. You have not measured up to me. And he moves into an even more personal direction and says, If you love your own life more than me, you are not worthy of me. You must be willing to pick up a cross and carry it, taking all the shame that comes with it, because he who has found his life will lose it, but he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. It's here that Jesus includes that paradoxical, paradoxical principle. It is one of the most common phrases we read in the Gospels, that if you find your life, you'll lose it, but if you lose your life for his sake and the Gospel's sake, you will find it. So according to this passage, Walking in a manner worthy of Jesus means laying down your life metaphorically and literally, if necessary, for the sake of Jesus. It means ensuring that he is first in your heart, that he takes first place. Anything less than that is idolatry. It means that every ambition and aim and aspiration of your heart would be subjected and shaped by your love for Jesus. Now let's consider another example. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, Paul is praying for the Colossian church, and he says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all the endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
Now, a simple, rapid examination of this passage will reveal what Paul means when he says that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. In verse 9, we learn that before we can walk this way, we must first be filled with the knowledge of his will, the divinely added benefits of spiritual wisdom and understanding. These gifts are given by the Holy Spirit. To understand God is not within natural human capabilities. In other words, Paul is telling them right up front, you can't do this without help. I'm telling you to do something that I know you cannot do. God must work in you before you can walk this way. And then Paul parallels walking in a worthy manner with being fully pleasing to the Lord. So what does it mean to walk in a worthy manner? It means to walk in a way that is fully pleasing to God. Now, we could probably just stop right here with that description and go no further. Consider your own life. Think back to those occasions when you have dishonored the Lord. Now, if you are a Christian, you knew it was wrong. If you are a Christian, you felt the pull of the Holy Spirit. Even if it was slight, you felt it pulling you against the grain of your natural human desire for sin. And you were aware at the very moment that your sin was displeasing to God. Now, if you constantly sin, if you continue on in sin and you feel nothing, then you have a much bigger problem than what we're talking about today. If that is the case, then it is evidence that you have not been redeemed by Jesus. And I want to be clear. You're probably hearing me right now give you a to-do list. Just do this in order to measure up to God. Please understand, I am not. You cannot honor God. You cannot please him even one bit unless you first have a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. You must come to the end of yourself. You must see him for who he is and follow Jesus. You must believe that Jesus died for your sin. Yes, the sins that you have committed as an offense against him. You must trust in him for salvation because if you do not, you will always be displeasing to him. So I hope that today would be the day of salvation for you. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. But for those of you who know Jesus, those of us who are saved, we are given further explanation by Paul of what it looks like to walk in a worthy manner. In this same passage I just read, Paul lists the following attributes of a a worthy walk. He says, You must bear fruit in every good work. Now, consider the fruit of the Spirit, right? There's the list of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Maybe you're looking at that list and you're saying, "Mm, I will take this part and I will leave the rest. I am interested in growing in this, but not that. Well, that is not the way that it operates. A Christian must be excelling in all of these things. Don't put off growth in any of these areas. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So... And when it speaks here about bearing fruit in every good work, consider the fact that you must grow in every aspect of your life. There is no area of you that Jesus is disinterested in. Secondly, you must increase in the knowledge of God. There are many Christians that I am sad to see who live in happy ignorance of God. They are not desirous to learn more about him. Let me give you an example in regards to marriage. Um, In terms of marriage, happy marriages are ones 
where the husband and wife continue to learn about each other in an ongoing way. You change, your spouse will change, and over time, you should desire to get to know who your wife or who your husband is now. Get to know them in a deeper way. Get to know them and in in, in learn things about them that you've never heard. I've been married for only 10 years, but I'm still discovering stories that my wife has never told me, and she's still uh, hearing stories that I've never told her. We're learning still more about each other. And not only things that have occurred, but things that we think and things that we feel. It's important that you grow in your knowledge of one another. That's part of what it means to love each other. Happy marriages look like that. But... When in our relationship with God, people are all too often comfortable with ignorance. That they are comfortable without learning more about who God is and what he has done. About ignoring what he has said to us in the scripture. So continue to increase in the knowledge of God. And there's a variety of ways to do this. Learning from your own church is great. I remember talking to a man in Levittown just about a year ago uh, who is a Christian that I met. Um, and he told me that he went to a seminary for a couple of years, and he said, I went there because I wanted to learn what I believed and why I believed it. And I said, you know, I didn't say this. Actually, I thought about it after I left, and I was like, you know what I should have said was, you should be able to learn most of that from your local church. You should be able to learn what you believe and why you believe it from your local church, from your pastors and your community groups, and from the fellowship you have with other believers. You should be able to know that from being with other believers in that in that manner. But you can also you can also pursue higher education if that's the case, but I think for most of us that's not the thing that we need. Primarily, you need to be in the word of God. People have failed to be good students of the Bible. Thirdly, Paul writes that you must be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Now, Steve did a great job of talking about this from the Old Testament from Isaiah in the call to worship this morning. He recognized that the strength to uh, produce what we are called to produce is not from ourselves. It is a product of leaning on the Lord. People like to say that Christianity is a crutch. Well, the reality is, yes, it is a crutch. Yes, it is a crutch. We are leaning on something. We are placing all of our faith and trust in something, and that something is Jesus Christ himself. But the reality is, everyone else is leaning on a crutch as well. Everybody else is relying on some belief structure, on some hope. The problem is, their hope is vain. The things that they are leaning on, whether it be wealth or fame or power, or whatever it might be, a happy retirement, the American dream, a good family, all of those things will ultimately disappoint and fail. They are not a crutch that will be able to sustain their weight. But Jesus is what upholds us and strengthens us. He is the great and powerful God who is the, the mighty tower that we must run to and be saved. We just happen to be leaning on something that upholds us. Next, he says that we are to be strengthened, but strengthened for what? For all endurance and patience with joy. Now, are you lacking in endurance or in patience or in joy? If you are lacking in these things, it is an indication that you are trusting in yourself or something less than Jesus. Your patience and your joy are not rooted in your circumstances. They are firmly set and they are set on the settled realities of the gospel. Your endurance is not based on the difficulty of the road. Right now I'm in Kentucky, 
but before we came down here, I was using my exercise bike on a regular basis. Every evening, I would sit on the bike and I would, you know, ride for a little while. But the reality is, the distance that I was able to go, or the time that I was able to stay on the bike, was completely dependent upon how high I set the difficulty settings. It goes from one to, I think, eight is the highest. And if I set it on one, I can go for a very, very long time. If I set it on an eight, I'm struggling after just a few minutes. But our life with Christ is not like that. You can do all things, meaning you can joyfully and patiently endure through all things, victoriously through Christ who gives you strength. It does not matter how difficult the road is. You could be experiencing the most challenging circumstances in the history of the world. Yet, because you have Christ, you are able. Now, you must give thanks, it continues, to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, I admit, during this pandemic, I confess to you that more than I should have, I have complained about the circumstances that are taking place. More than zero. Zero is how much I should. I have complained during this shutdown. And if I had to guess, I would assume that you probably have too. But we are not supposed to grumble. You can disagree with the government about the way that they're handling this. You can disagree with the president or the governor or the local uh, rulers and authorities. You can disagree with them all day long. But don't grumble. The attitude of grumbling is always ultimately against God. If you are grumbling about your circumstances, remember the Israelites when they were in the wilderness, they thought they were grumbling against Moses. But God took that very personally because he's the one that put them in the wilderness. Right now we are in some challenging circumstances. And if you're grumbling, ultimately, remember God put you here. He has designed these circumstances, and you know that in any and all circumstances, we are called to give thanks. Have you thanked God for this pandemic? Now, I know that we've spent a good amount of time here on this example, but let's move now to another Axios command from Paul. He says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, he says these words, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now notice that there's a little bit of a different spin on this command. Here he's not saying to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. He is rather saying walk in a manner worthy of the calling that the Lord has called you to. This passage, these three verses, is the turning point of the book of Ephesians. This is where Paul moves out of his focus on doctrine, and he begins to focus rather on application. But he is not leaving behind everything that has already been said. Instead, what he is doing is he is building on that in order to call them into a manner that now measures up to the glorious doctrines presented in chapters 1 through 3. When he says that he are to live in a manner worthy of the calling, what calling is he talking about? He's talking about chapters 1 through 3, how God has saved us from before the foundations of the world. He has set his affection upon us, and he has in time, chapter 2 speaks of how he has redeemed us by grace through faith. All of this is what he's referencing when he says we are to live in a manner that measures up to that calling to which we have been called. And remember back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. 
He says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So now Paul is essentially saying, what is your calling? In a practical sense, it is to walk out those good works that God has set before you. To live out all of these things that God has placed in your path, whatever scenario that you have encountered, God is calling you uniquely to these experiences. So live for Jesus in the face of every trial. That's essentially what he's saying. <clears throat> As I read the passage earlier, I hope that you noticed something here. Listen again and keep your ears open to hear about the fruit of the Spirit. We are called to walk with all humility and gentleness, fruit of the Spirit, with patience, fruit of the Spirit, bearing with one another in love, fruit of the Spirit, eager to maintain unity in the Spirit and the bond of peace, the fruit of the Spirit. And if you continue in, continue in the chapter, you actually see that all of the rest of the fruit of the Spirit are described either explicitly or by example. For example, in verse 32, he says, Be kind to one another. In this chapter, all of the fruit of the Spirit are available to see in one manner or another. He is calling us to live by bearing fruit. So, in this passage, the meaning of walking in a manner worthy of our calling is referencing having character that has been overhauled by the Holy Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit or in other words, the Spirit's fruit. It is a product of His work in us. So walking this way means growing in Christ-like character as we are given strength to do so by the Holy Spirit. Now allow me to give one more quick example. Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake." engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Here, Paul is appealing to the Philippians to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And he describes this manner of life in a very surprising way. A life worthy of the gospel is not only about personal growth, is what we see here. It is a collaborative kind of growth. He parallels walking worthy of the gospel with a church that is unified in both mind and action. He explains it as fearlessly pursuing faith together in the face of opposition. And he explains that we have this manner of life because God has not only granted us the ability to believe, yes, he says that God grants us the ability to believe in him, but also God has granted us to suffer. So let's recap what we have heard so far. Walking worthy of Jesus means to pick up our cross and follow him, loving him above all. Walking worthy of the Lord means to bear fruit in every good work. Walking in a manner worthy of our calling means to walk in the Holy Spirit and produce the fruit of the Spirit. And to walk in a wor manner worthy of the gospel is to do all of these things in a way that is unified within the body of Christ. So I hope what you're seeing here is there is a lot of overlap 
These things are varied ways of saying the exact same thing, that there is an expectation for believers to live a certain way. So now let's turn to our main text for today, 1 Thessalonians, but let me read our verse in context. I'm actually going to read a good section here, beginning at verse 5. He says, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Now here's the bottom line. Here's the simple Caleb Bunch explanation of what it means here to walk in a manner worthy of God. Simply this, to the extent that God has loved you, you should live for him. You are called to match his pursuit of you in equal measure in pursuit of him. You should love him fully because he loved you fully first. Now, I hope this rattles your cage a little bit. I hope that you're not just sitting back and thinking, well, I've got this figured out, that I've already arrived. Because all of the explanation that I have given you so far about the definition of axios or the way that it is used in other passages, none of this explanation should dull the razor-sharp edge of this command. It should rather shake you a little to realize you are not quite where you need to be. And it should trouble your heart to know that there are areas of your life where you are not currently walking in a manner worthy of God. That should lead you to repentance. But now as I call you to repentance, I want to also call your attention to the approach that Paul had toward the Thessalonians. He is not attacking them or berating them. He is not harsh with them in any way. He describes his relationship to them in a way that, honestly, I think is, is probably uncomfortable to most modern readers. He actually likens his relationship to the Thessalonians as being like a mother nursing a baby. And he's revealing to them to live this way because he loves them so much. He is telling them to live this way because he cares deeply for them. Later in verse 11, he describes his relationship with them as a father with his children. He wants them to grow in grace because it is good for them. Now, as you know, I have five kids. Four of my kids can walk right now, and they're doing so all the time, all over the place. And I'm okay with the fact that one of my kids can't walk yet. He's just two and a half months old. But there will come a time when I'm going to hold his hands and I'm going to make him stand up and I'm going to march him around and try to get his legs used to moving until he's ready to stand up on his own and then begin taking those first steps. I want him to walk because it is good for him to learn to walk. It is good for his life to have this ability to have this kind of 
calculated falling one step after another. That is what we need to train him to do. But I'm going to do this while I care for him and watch him and hold his hand. And even when he does begin walking, it will be me on one side and Ashley on the other, and he will kind of whoa, make his way from one of us to the other. God is not telling us these things to be mean to us. He is telling us these things because he cares for us, and he knows that this is actually not only what he desires from us, but it is also good for us. There is a phrase that I have often heard in recent days used by journalists and even sports announcers. They will, they will accuse mean people of being puritanical. Have you heard that before? Have you heard them say, well, they're just puritanical? It's a weird thing to say, and it evidences the fact that they actually don't know history very well and have never read the Puritans. The Puritans were very serious about their faith. And the problem is, the world today does not like people telling them what they should do. They feel that if somebody is telling them what they should do, then you hate them. If you disagree what somebody is doing, then you don't approve of them as a human being. That's not accurate at all. The loving thing to do is to show people the right way to be and to live and to act and to, to respond to God. So walking in a manner worthy of God is not only honoring to God, but it's also good for you. There is no sin that's worth it. Just think of the sins that you have in your past. Think of things that you have hidden away from embarrassment and shame you didn't want anyone else to know. Have any of those sins ever benefited you? No, they have not. They rot your soul. They fill you with guilt and they fill you with regret. They lie to you and they tell you, if you just do this, it will be satisfying. Only to take the goalposts and move them so that you will sink deeper and deeper into sin, just like quicksand. God is teaching you to walk this way because he loves you. He loves you more than Paul loved the Thessalonians. And the good news is that he is holding your hand through all of this as he teaches you to walk. He is not expecting you to do this on your own. He is expecting you to rely on him to carry you through it. So if you're feeling the weight of guilt for failing to walk in a manner worthy of God, that can be a good thing. It is a good thing if you take that to the cross and you repent. Which brings us now to our final examination of the term axios today, the word worthy. In Revelation chapter 5, we get this incredible vision of heaven. There's this magnificent moment where John is having this vision of what's taking place, and there's a temporary scare when the inhabitants of heaven are wondering who is going to take charge and open the scrolls, and these scrolls represent the unveiling of the future. So essentially they are asking, who is able to hold the future in his hand? And when nobody is found to measure up, John breaks down in tears, but then his heavenly tour guide in this vision calms him down and says, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And rightfully so, the attention of all of heaven is then on Jesus as they fall down before him in exaltation and in adoration. And in the midst of their outpouring of joy, a new song was heard in heaven. Now, just consider this for a moment. In the Old Testament, it is revealed to us that the angels were singing a song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with his glory. They are singing the song over and over. And they sing it because it's always true. 
But after the cross, heaven itself entered a new era of worship as they began singing a new song and their hearts start with that familiar word. They sing this song, Axios, worthy. He is worthy. He has measured up to his calling. So they sang, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. But why? What made him worthy? For you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And later they continue to sing, Axios, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and blessing, our power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. In other words, the entire the only thing that could balance the scales of the universe is if Jesus receives every ounce of power and every penny of wealth and every measure of wisdom and every effort of our might and every action and word of our honor and every iota of glory and every last blessing. If he receives all of those from the world, then things are balanced. Then things are axios. Then... Things are, he, he, because he is worthy, then things are set right. So why should you walk in a manner worthy? Because he is worthy. He is worthy of your life. He has done so much by nature of who he is as God and by nature of the fact that he has laid down his life to save sinners like you and me. He is worthy. So lay down anything that would tie you down or anything that would hold you back and pursue Jesus with full abandon, as Jonathan Edwards would say, in equal measure to how Christ has loved you, reflexively love him. Let's pray now to that end. Our God and Father, we ask that right now you would give us the ability to walk in a manner worthy of you. Help us, Lord, because we know that we are not able to do this on our own. Please strengthen us by your Holy Spirit to produce a godly character. Help us to be unified with one another. Help us, God, I pray, to be strengthened in the inner man so that we might always honor you in all that we think and all that we say and all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.